0: Drive-by Cinema! Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun!
1: Well, hello there. This is Season 2, Episode 43 of Drive-by Cinema, with me, Rick, and
0: my co-host, Paul. Hi. It feels like a lifetime, doesn't it, really, since we started? It feels like two lifetimes. But not 70 years. It doesn't feel like 70 years, does
1: it, Richard? This is... Is that your lifetime? Is that what you say? No, it's the
0: Queen's reigns time, isn't it? This is the podcast
1: where we watch movies so you don't have to.
0: Oh, sorry, yeah. But also preceding the Queen's Jubilee this weekend.
1: Yeah, long weekend for us. Yeah. And by way of celebration and thanks to Brexit apparently Richard's been cutting down bunting time, for the third time <laughs> the government have announced that we are gonna start using imperial measures again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if we can remember what they are. Get the slide rule out. Dust dust off that old textbook. Can we remember what the numbers still are? Probably not. I mean I know a pint's five, six, eight milliliters, but that's a pint. Everyone knows what a pint. Well, a pint is a pint. A pint. The only thing you use a pint for. What's a furlong? What's a league?
1: And the thing is, thing about pints is you don't even buy milk in pints anymore, do you?
0: Really? No, you buy them in liters.
1: Anyone have a glass bottle milk thing? You've got. A, have you Ooh, got, you got a milk like A traditional delivery? No, not Hey, Paul. We went to a gig. Since our we, last recording,
0: we did. It was my first gig for nearly twenty years. That's how old I am. Uh and uh, yeah. Who did we see, Rich?
1: We saw Yard Act. Yard Act. How, so in the style of an NME review, how how would you characterize
0: Oh you, you the want gig? Lots, lots of extended analogies and comparisons of other bands, do you? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I can't do that anymore. I used to. Uh how did I find them? I, I found them very innovating, I have to say this. Uh, you said that they've been on an American show already, some Monday Night Live or Friday Night Live or something like that?
1: Jimmy Kimmel. I think that was Andrew who well, told us that, actually. Yeah.
0: Okay. So uh, big things are predictive for them. I mean, he certainly has star quality, they're their lead singer stroke poet. Uh, and I, you know, the music just suits me, okay? Uh, it's kind of jagged, spiky, but funky all at the same time. Uh, without being lazy in those uh, in those categorizations It's really, at times, challenging. Uh, I think the, the only drawback was not them, but the venue. It, it, the acoustics weren't such that we could actually hear anything that he was saying whilst the music was playing.
1: It was like a converted vape shop, wasn't it? <laughs> it was,
0: yeah. It was all like those matte black painted walls that you find in a vape shop kind of thing. Uh, and they only had... Becks and Red Stripe really is beers. So it wasn't much of a bar, it has to be said. Uh, but no, I think the acoustics really let the venue, the acoustics really let the show down, I think. However, if you do know the lyrics, of course, you can sing along. I knew the lyrics to one song, which is great.
1: Well, they're like, um, they're like a kind of folk, urban, uh, arctic monkeys, but good is how I described them to you, isn't it? Re- really good. As you say, I think he's called James Smith. That you lead. I'm gonna guess,
0: That's and he's day. from Leeds, not Sheffield, which is always an improvement.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, there was quite a lot of banter 31.
0: from the from the crowd, wasn't there? I don't know if it was good humoured or not.
1: There was a lot of intervention. I think it started off good humoured. I think it wore thin.
0: Yeah,
1: and it was supported by quite an extraordinary lady.
0: Yeah, <laughs> no, I I came in late, and I was really impressed with whatever she was doing with two microphones. It was amazing sounds.
1: She was called. I think she was called newer Ruby Ra. Whoa. Something like that.
0: And was she a musician or a performing artist?
1: Well, I assume that all of the backing loops that she had going behind her sort of electro-wailing was her. I presume she recorded all of that. (laughs) No, it was quite haunting, wasn't it? She had a lot. It was. Interesting. She was... Extraordinarily sort of self possessed, she had great stage presence. Yes, and in the
0: style of the enemy, I would say she was Yoko Ono mixed in a lab with Nina Cherry.
1: <laughs> Before you arrived, yeah, I'd I'd spotted her in the audience because she was at the, she was front of house at the start, and she just strode through the audience, you know, in that red sort of leather coat she was wearing.
0: Whoa. Swagger. That is swagger.
1: And then she appeared on stage, you know, about five minutes later. So the crowd opened up in a kind of, what's the word, like a, a safety containment zone, <laughs> like a semicircle of fear around her. She, but uh, because no one came within that semicircle, eventually she just whipped up enough microphone cord, stepped off the stage, and walked out into the crowd.
0: <laughs> Richard, this brings on to the film today. What? Are we serving up for our listeners' delectation tonight?
1: Well, I suggest we listen to a bit of your music, and then we'll find out. And we'll find out by asking Paul the customary question that we used to ask. What was the name of the film we
0: watched? (laughs) Paul. Paul is around for the name of the movie. It was. It comes at night. And I I said that with barely a glance at my notes. It comes at night, but I don't know what year it's from, Richard. 2017, I think.
1: Yes, it it was 2017.
0: Ah, Two for two. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, It comes at night. It is billed, I think, as a horror. And it is a horror. Hey, this is classic drive-by cinema. This is going right back. To the
1: movies we used to watch about lockdown.
0: So it's it's. I think it's sort of in that genre. Of course, we're in a cabin. We're not in a cabin. We're in a house in the woods. Uh, and it's very much psychological horror to some extent, isn't it? Listen, it's about a disease,
1: isn't it? Isn't it nakedly uh, ostensibly, about? Ostensibly, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Ostensibly,
1: interesting. And I was wondering what disease it was. Obviously, 2017, it's before COVID. No one was talking about COVID. In 2017, we hadn't heard of it. We hadn't invented it. No, you're going to say, you're going to say, aren't you, this has more resemblance to... To monkeypox. <laughs> no, no, not really. This oh. is about Ebola.
0: Yeah, yeah, Ebola. It's, you know, it boils on the skin, sort of. Witchy. I don't think that's the symptom of Ebola. I'm not oh. sure. Boils but on the... I don't. Know.
1: You're thinking of the bubonic plague, aren't you?
0: Yeah, but it is more Ebola. I, I'm sure you... you, you Necrotic wasting away is, is an aspect of Ebola, isn't it?
1: Ebola is a hemorrhagic fever, along with its close oh. relative Marburg. You may have heard of it also. And hemorrhagic fevers like Ebola, they, they used to be, I'm, I think we're going back 10, 20 years, they used to be the big, scary, sexy kind of diseases that everyone was talking about. In fact, there was a series of films, I think, and a, uh, a well-known book called The Coming Plague uh, that was talking about Ebola. It flares up with, uh, you know, alarming regularity in Central Africa, I think. What's um, the major
0: vector? Is it is it monkeys again, or...?
1: I think it might be bats. I think they bats. figured out it's a bat reservoir. Um, sounds strange. And... Uh, uh, there's a story in one of those books, which I think is a sort of dramatised novelization of something, of, of you know the diseases, of some researcher or someone going into a bat cave and yeah. picking up guano and stuff and testing it and stuff like that. Um, the way these hemorrhagic fevers work, trigger warning, this is icky, but they make your blood vessels very leaky effectively. This causes mm. you basically to leak out of all your orifices. And mm. one of the consequences of that, which is depicted in this film, in which what which was what made me think of it, is when blood goes into your stomach, it, it goes black, basically, because of the yeah. stomach acids and stuff. And these guys were vomiting black, weren't they? Black ooze. Mm. And dreaming about vomiting black ooze. And it seemed to be one of the important Symptoms
0: of the disease. Now you say it's about the about the disease, but they only really mention it. It's 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 contextual, isn't it? You know, uh, they bury Granddad. Granddad is infected and dies of the disease. It
1: starts off with Granddad dying.
0: So we know it's about a disease, but they never really discuss the disease explicitly, do they?
1: No, they don't. It's very subtly portrayed in that sense. There's a lot of breathing in this film, a lot of heavy focus on breathing. don't know you notice that. It, the film starts concentrating on this old guy's ragged breathing as he struggles to breathe. And um, I think that might be trying to tell you that it's an airborne disease. Right. They're also wearing respirators, aren't they, when they approach you? Ah, yes. Deal with so body.
0: therefore, we're supposed to piece together by implicit exposition that it's an airborne disease. And, you know, it's ravaged, we imagine, most of the cities and towns because they're holed up in a house that isn't theirs in the woods.
1: Yeah, they're in the middle of nowhere. We don't see any other place, really. So it's a very claustrophobic film. It, again, it's-, it's real classic drive-by cinema. Uh, They're really locked down, properly locked down. And, you know, one of the things about this film, the reason we're talking about it and the way it deals with this disease is at no point during this film does a scientist go up on a blackboard and explain all about the disease or, you know, when it started or where patient zero is or, you know. There's none of that, like, lazy or clumsy exposition going on here.
0: So we're very much with them. We see as much as they see. And we feel their ignorance and we we feel their, their dread. So we're with this family. Paul and Sarah. Paul. See,
1: of course you'd remember that name. I just called him Beard Man.
0: (laughs) You called him him Lumberjack Man.
1: Now, you say you don't recognise any. You said earlier, I think, you didn't recognise any of the actors in this film.
0: He's Joel Edgerton. He's famous.
1: He's been in other stuff. Particularly, he's been in the Star Wars prequels where he played Owen Lars, Luke's Uncle, Uncle Owen, and I think he's coming back. Therefore, in the new Obi Wan Kenobi series on Disney, whoa, he's in an interracial relationship. I don't know why it's important to mention that, but it's not. It's never made a thing of at all in this film, is it? No. So we've got uh, his wife and a a young lad, a young young youngish lad. He's, I guess he's sixteen or eighteen or somewhere of that. I think they
0: say seventeen. Travis, his name is
1: Travis. Yeah.
0: And there's another famous star, Mickey. Mickey. Mickey plays the family dog called Stanley. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not familiar
1: with his work, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you know, he does He does a good death scene. Let's put it that way.
1: <laughs> so, there's a harrowing scene at the beginning where this old fellow, who's granddad, Travis's granddad, I guess, yeah, someone's granddad. He fades away and dies. They pop him in a wheelbarrow wearing respirators, carry him outside, put him in a pit. Shoot him in the head. They shoot him through the head, yeah, with a pillow. And to, burn um, his body to cinders. Yeah, they burn him. They watch the smoke rise through the trees.
0: Yes, petrol fumes licking up the leaves.
1: And then they, the three of them eat dinner in a shocked silence after this. Now there's... A red locked door in the house. Oh, well
0: noticed. I didn't notice that.
1: Huh? Isn't it it the only thing you know about the house? Because I couldn't tell you anything about the layout.
0: I was hiding behind the sheets for lots of this movie, so. The other thing that happens quite a lot in this movie
1: is that we see Travis's dreams, don't we? Yes. And this happens very early on, I think. Um, And I I think he's dreaming about going in through that... Or going out through that red door. I think we we end up realizing that that red door is the way out. And that's the only
0: way in or out of the Everything house. else is battened down. Now, American houses, if they're made of wood, and they typically are, typically the basement is accessible, isn't it, from the outside? You can go, you can like walk under the house.
1: Yeah, they're often raised up, aren't they?
0: Yeah, on, I don't know what you call them, rafters or whatever, on underground rafters or whatever. So presumably they've sealed that off too. Presumably, yeah. Let's give them the benefit yeah. of the doubt on that. So it's completely hermetically sealed, so to speak. Uh, and it's boarded up against potential uh, raiders and invaders and, uh, and pillagers and whatnot. Uh, because presumably society has has done has taken a day off for, for the duration And they're living that kind of survivalist life, aren't they? Well, they have to, I guess. I mean, they've got a full water buttress somewhere. I never really see it, do we? Uh, And obviously, they've got stores of food. Uh, And uh, and yeah, they're living within their means as best they can.
1: We come to one night where the dog starts barking and going crazy, and... Paul and his wife get up out of bed and they get guns out of a gun safe and they go down to the red door and they unlock the red door and they, they look inside and there's this guy there, right?
0: Yeah. He's broken into the house.
1: He's broken in. He's broken into a window and he's in Felony.
0: There. Act of felony. <laughs> if the law still exists, existed, which it doesn't.
1: <laughs> the castle doctrine, Paul. Uh, um, we may have talked about the uh, Castle Doctrine before, but there is a video game called The Castle Doctrine wow. where what you do is you set up your house and you've got a wife and two kids and a safe with money and stuff in it. And you, you lay up your house and you can put traps down like you know electric floors or a dog that will chase people, and stuff like that. And you then leave your house and you can go and have a look at other people's houses and try to break into them. Whoa. And uh, the idea is that people can visit your house when you're out, try and break in,
0: kill your wife and kids. Or just steal the Amazon parcels off your front porch. (laughs) (laughs) So, So Paul exercises some restraint in not shooting this guy. Is that right?
1: Not very much, no, because he does discharge. He discharges his weapon. I don't think he shoots the guy, but the guy immediately acquiesces, you know. Uh, and they ask if he's sick. And he claims that he's not.
0: No brainer. He's going to say, yes, I'm sick, kill me. I mean, he's not going to admit
1: <laughs> it, is he? He then knocks him out with the butt of a rifle and he's out cold.
0: But plot spoiler, he's not actually sick, is he? So,
1: Being knocked out by being hit on the head is a very common Hollywood trope, right? Yeah. Not really... Something you can do without you know, serious consequences, is it?
0: Well, uh, I was watching some sort of uh, real-life trial on BBC Two or BBC Four, I can't remember what. Forces uh, Television, yeah. probably, Paul. No, no, BBC Two, BBC Four. <laughs> of the sort of Louis Tourou kind of vein, but not quite. And uh, essentially, it was a an adopted Hispanic guy who'd grown up white and who's accused of racially motivated murder of some honduras guys who he, who were drinking beer on their porch in the suburbs or whatever yeah uh and the, the argument was that he admitted using axe the back of the, the blunt side of the axe around the back of the head to hit this guy but his friend had a pole or something or some other weapon and it came down to expert testimony or expert witnesses saying it must have been the axe because the back of the skull is the strongest part of the skull and only full force with uh, you know sort of a blunt axe blade could crack it like it was cracked in the deceased body in the deceased uh, um, corpse so so i don't know about it depends where you hit on the skull doesn't it i guess
1: i don't think so i mean uh, everything that we're learning about contact sports and stuff, we mentioned this the other week, I'm sure, mm. it's telling us that there is no kind of safe exposure level to concussion, right? That every concussion you get is doing brain damage, right? I, th- I think that's what we ne- were sort of growing to learn. But, you know, this is called out in um, Archer, the cartoon, you know, the, the uh, lascivious secret agent cartoon, which you may have seen. They mention this, they lampshade it frequently in the episode. If someone gets knocked out, someone will say, you should see a neurologist. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, you know, that this is the reality. You know, if you are ever out cold, you almost certainly need to see a doctor because you've probably got brain damage of some kind. It may only be mild, but...
0: Uh, so it, later on in the movie, it happens that the table of turn plot spoiler and will takes, I, I don't know what it is, some blunt instrument to Paul's head several times. and
1: This is this is the guy that got knocked out.
0: Yeah, he, he, towards the end of the movie, there's table turns that we might get into, uh, where he, he cracks Paul in the head several times, you know, uh, and Paul gets up after that and then tackles Will, <laughs> which I found just frankly unbelievable. You know, he would have <laughs> caved his skull in for crying out loud. Uh, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I I can't watch martial arts of any kind these days because I just, you know, it's it's just not funny or amusing to me anymore. Like, you're just monging that guy. Mm. <laughs> That's maybe not the best word to use. So, I <laughs> mean, yeah, it's, it's much more than
0: punch drunk, isn't it? It's, I mean, it, it's just massive, massive brain trauma they're experiencing.
1: We Yeah, I mean, and same is true of heading the ball in football.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Perhaps less so these days than with those old leather.
0: <laughs> old medicine balls, yeah. It, when they were wet as well, you know, wet wet leather. I don't know what you call them. Stones. I mean, <laughs> God, it used to hurt, didn't it?
1: Yeah, so mm, yeah, it's changed my view about a lot of contact-related sports.
0: You might as well get impaled by discus. Go and play the discus. It's probably a safer sport. <laughs>
1: Impaled by a javelin, surely
0: Javelin, sorry, you see, my language <laughs> still isn't up there uh, But you know what I meant No,
1: there, w- there was a guy who got There was a guy who got impaled by a javelin, wasn't there? There was like a line judge
0: Several, several yeah. of them, you know Several of the officials have been impaled by javelins <laughs> Yeah
1: Really slows down the competition, doesn't it? <laughs>
0: I mean, it's problematic if it if, if it goes through him and then sticks in the ground. afterwards, you've got two things to remove it from, haven't you? Yeah, <laughs> Ooh,
1: yeah. Hmm. you probably want to get a rag on the end of that before you pull it through the guy's body. Don't you? <laughs> so when you uh, so our family, our happy family, they move this guy outside and tie his unconscious body to a tree with a bag. And immediately i am I'm thinking,
0: oh my god, they're going to burn him.
1: Yeah, seemed that way. It's hard to move a floppy body, you know. It's no joke. It's a very heavy thing to move. I mean, if you're carrying it someone, it sounds who like you're is... speaking
0: from experience here.
1: <sighs> no, I think it might it might have been something we discussed on like a first aid course or something. But you know, if you if you move someone who's awake and, and helping you mm. move them, that's one thing, you know, because they can stiffen up or like. Put their arm around you, but moving a completely flaccid body—I'm
0: sorry—I'm just going to get
1: finar at those comments. <laughs> anyway, go on, carry Mo- moving on. a floppy body is very difficult, you know, because again, you see it all the time in Hollywood movies when someone kills someone or unconscious bodies—they just cheerfully, you know, pick them up and carry them around,
0: throw them in I a don't... throw them in a suit, a suit zipper, you know, those, those <laughs> things you carry suits in, and then. Yeah down the uh, down the rubbish chute, down the trash chute, wherever it's called, but over there. No, I mean, I, I, I've i carried a floppy body once. Oh, uh, yeah. My business partner, I had a bit of falling out with her. And so... uh one of my wound up in
1: the river. <laughs>
0: no, 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 no. I no. uh, had a bit of falling out with her. Like, am I a tiff? She wasn't speaking to me. and uh, She was of the personality that if she had a tiff with someone, she'd go and get blindingly drunk on cheap red wine. Anyway, she was... I mean, she was... Desperately in need of other people's company. She's a very sociable creature. And so she got her ex-boyfriend and his younger brother round to her newly renovated flat. Because she was making quite a bit of money at the time. And they'd all got roaringly drunk together. Uh, And uh, then they'd gone out on the town, on the raz, And then she called me and said, look, you've got to pick us up. We're we're blind drunk. Uh, And her apartment was like, uh, what do they call it? Duplex? With stairs. Anyway, so it wasn't just that. It was, it was Triplex or whatever. It was, she had oh, right. three stories to a rather impressive apartment. And uh, her ex-boyfriend was okay. He was going to sleep in the tea room. She, she, had, she converted one of the rooms to a Japanese tea room. So he was going to sleep in the tea room, away from her, away from temptation. But her his younger brother was rolling drunk. And they were on the sixth floor. And then there were three flights of stairs – sorry, two flights of stairs within the apartment itself – and he just couldn't walk. And he was, you know, about one meter, 80. He had a good six foot. And he must have weighed a good 80 kilograms. And he was just comatose. Paul, are you using metric? Are you using metric
1: there? How dare oh, yeah. you?
0: How yeah. dare you in this jubilee week? <laughs> but he was just comatose and floppy. And he was seemingly so much more than a few bags of potatoes to carry. Because like you say, he's just not responding to the movement. It's kind of like, yeah, it is really difficult. You're right.
1: How did you carry him then? Did you put him in a fireman's lift, or
0: yeah, fireman's lift all the way up? I think I dragged him through the door. <laughs> uh, like I put him down and dragged him through the through through the threshold. It wasn't easy because she'd had these poncy sort of wooden stairs installed that circle round on themselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: <laughs> and he hits his head on every baluster. Uh- well,
0: I mean, she didn't tell me died in his own vomit the day afterwards, so everything seemed to be fine. <laughs>
1: But he he never recovered the power of language. No, okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Had to go live with the wolves. Richard, we've digressed horribly.
1: But they reboard the window, lock the door, and I think they're hearing the captive yell out in the night, aren't they, as he's tied up?
0: And then Paul kind of interrogates him in the morning afterwards and says, Look, it's in your interest to make me believe what I'm about to ask you. So convince me that you're telling me the truth. Which I thought was a very good you, interrogator's tactic. You've
1: missed one of Travis's dreams again, though. I think Drew, uh, What was his first dream?
0: I think this might be his second dream. but Oh, his
1: second. I'm, I'm not sure, but he was dreaming about black in black eyes. Uh, Maybe he was traumatised, possibly by his grandfather's death. But yeah, Paul goes out with water, doesn't he? And he says... He'll give him water for honest answers to his questions.
0: Anyway, somehow they come to a pact that he's going to agree to the young guy, Will, as we later find out his name, uh, his request, c- which is getting some water and getting back to his family with some water. Is that right?
1: We could roleplay this, Paul. You might, Do you want to interrogate me?
0: Imagine <laughs> <I'm-> <laughs> I would make such a terrible interrogator.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you why I broke in, Paul. It's because the place looked abandoned.
0: Cosplay with you, Richard, over over <laughs> over national podcasts. He was, on, he was
1: foraging. He was foraging for his family. Yeah, and,
0: and I said, believe him, and Paul believes him eventually. But Paul, you know, is starting. You know, the oh. paranoia is starting to turn up a ratchet or two. You know, he kind of wants to believe him. He wants. He wants.
1: To- you say his paranoia was turned up a, a notch, but he's really paranoid at the, at the start, isn't he? I mean, in a sense, his, his survival is based upon the fact that he's naturally very paranoid. That's why yeah. he's in this place, away from everywhere,
0: at least good sense, yeah. But yeah, maybe he's primed to behave like that. Or maybe it's rational responses. I
1: think what you're grasping at there, Paul, is the old adage that if they are out to get you, are you really paranoid? But Will does say, and this is an important point, that his brother is dead. Yes, his he makes brother. It a point to mention:
0: he's dead. Just take me back to my family with some water. I promise. That's all I was. I wasn't trying to do anything to you. I was just. I thought it was abandoned. It's all boarded up. You can't see lights in it. I thought your house was abandoned. I'm just here to scavenge and to forage for the things that we need for my family. I've got a young son. Please take me back. So, Paul. You know. I mean, maybe he's the better side of his nature gets to him uh, against one his natural suspicion and paranoia and two his rational his rational paranoia in the circumstances they find themselves you know a contagious uh, uh, sorry a pandemic or endemic disease that threatens everybody with a breakdown of law and order and all the pillaging that must be occurring and he, he discusses it he discusses it mm-hmm. with
1: his family doesn't he and they they speculate that it might have been the smoke from the burning of granddad that attracted yes. someone just so on,
0: there's know. reasons why Will turned up that night. You're right, yeah. But anyway, Paul decides to strap this younger fellow to the back of his pickup with a jerry can of water uh, and drive under his direction, under the other guy's direction, through the woods to where he says, where Will says his abandoned house is.
1: And it is a very, very foresty area. Now mm. I must have looked away at this point at a really crucial moment because one moment I saw them driving along a road in a forest and the next thing I see I sort of look up again they were ambushed Uh, well he's driving off
0: the road into a tree so how were they ambushed they They got a punch they were ambushed by two fellas that they shoot dead
1: oh but how did they make them drive off the road that's what I didn't get
0: Uh, I must have been looking away at that point
1: (laughs) (laughs) so something happened and he drives off the road into a tree. And as you say, it's the consequence of an ambush in some way. Did they shoot his tyre or something? Okay, that's a bit of an, another Hollywood trope going on there.
0: Potentially. Now, Richard, you're going to tell me about handbrake turns and how to escape assailants, aren't you? There are three kinds. A
1: J-turn. A J-turn. It's a reverse handbrake turn, isn't it? That's what they teach, uh-huh. like bodyguards and stuff. The car was in no, uh, no position to, to do manoeuvres. It was crashed into a tree. Wasn't it? Or did they make it go again?
0: Anyway, fate black. Next day, presumably, Paul and Will are back at the house with William's wife, Kim, Kim and their young son, Andrew. Paul's decided to bring them all back in. And uh, in exchange, William has brought chickens and some other kind of livestock that I can't quite remember.
1: A goat, I believe, from the noise. A goat, thank you. But no, we haven't even seen that other place. Again, we, we've gone as far... As the audience, we've gone as far as a bit of the forest. We haven't seen anywhere else. Just that was a nice touch, place. wasn't it? It's, it's so claustrophobic. It, that probably seemed novel in 2017, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> imagine if you're locked in all day, not allowed to go out to even to exercise yet. Yeah. Wow, unimaginable. Well, we can all imagine it now, can't
1: we? Well, Paul lays down the rules, as Paul's often do. Doesn't he? He explains what's allowed and what's not living in this house with them. Because they're gonna live together, they're gonna share, aren't they, these two families.
0: But Paul's trying to be civil, isn't he? You know, I think a lot of this movie is, it's it's a it's a dialogue about the loss of civility, isn't it, and what happens when we let fears get the better of our better side, so to speak.
1: But this is just like the big brother house, isn't it? You're throwing yes. these two families into one into one pressure cooker environment in lockdown together. Something is bound to give. Someone's going to go flying off the handle, aren't they, at some point? Somebody's going to fuck someone they shouldn't fuck. Or, or worse, the red door is the only way in and out.
0: Lock your firearms away at night and wear masks when it's critical, kind of thing.
1: Only go out in pairs. Yes. And only, Dog only at night
0: in the day, yeah. Then we've got, like, a montage of uh, Travis, the young son, getting buddy with William, the young male incomer. They're chopping wood together and that kind of thing. And there's a moment of counterpoint, almost, you know, Id- idyllic counterpoint where people seem, despite their fears, to be getting along at least. Yeah,
1: But Paul is watching Will and Travis get along Very isn't carefully. I think it's a bit of kind of jealousy or jealousy cer- yes. certainly mistrust but maybe Small-minded a jealousy jealous. of is he jealous of the easy manner and friendship that his son is building with, with with Will
0: I don't know but I mean it's it's shot for a reason I think it's there to express jealousy but I'm not sure that how, how that feeds into the larger themes how that feeds into larger themes of the movie which are about distrust and paranoia aren't they so
1: and then later on Travis Travis has found his way into an attic space that he uses or something and it lets him go out over the room that Will and his wife are in his wife is called Kim and they're crouched on the
0: rafters, masturbating like a monkey
1: he doesn't masturbate
0: no no No, but he, he wants to
1: There's not much, there's not really not much sexual activity going on here because it's made in 2017, and apparently sex doesn't exist, does it, in their tens.
0: So... (laughs) Well, people are exhausted, aren't they? You know, they're trying to survive. I doubt, really, they've got much time for sort of acrobatic intimacy, have they?
1: And they're sharing the room with their their young son, Andrew, anyway. That's just like living in Japan. But despite the fact there's no actual sex going on, it's a very intimate relationship, isn't it? There are clearly... Clearly in love with each other. Yes, they're doting. Yeah. And Travis, you know, he's a young guy and he's probably never. This is probably, you know,
0: for. Seeing the soft beauty of a woman.
1: And the easy relationship that Will has mm. with her and the, the intimate. It's a really intimate relationship that he's kind to. So of he's naively
0: on. taken with her, isn't he? You know, almost like yeah. a, a spoon whittling teen from, from 100 years ago. But he lives in the woods, so what do we expect?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's big brother stuff again isn't it you know in a big brother household people get off with one another because if you put people in that environment for you know a few days or weeks they start finding one another you know impossibly attractive because that's you know that's their entire world isn't it they've got so to she's lingering
0: awkwardly around around Kim all the time and then one night she can't sleep and she's you know eating Ice cream and cookies or whatever at the kitchen table, and he comes to sit down opposite her, opposite her, and is you know teenage, teenagedly awkward. Uh, but at one moment she starts expounding on an idea and sort of throws her up, throws her arms open wide and sort of her breasts st- kind of jut out onto the table, kind of thing. Why you do that? Can't help. <laughs> yeah, he can't help but stare, uh, and then you know she <laughs> kind of covers herself with her arms again and continues and, and tries to say good night to him. And says, "How old are you, Travis?" You know. That kind of I'm not. I'm not
1: sure. I'm a breast man, really. I, I passed me by, but it is a very again. It's a very intimate moment. They're kind of friendly, and mm. there's also a sense that you know because they're both up in the middle of the night, they're, they're kind of sharing. There's a moment shared, isn't it? You know, it's quite yes. There's intimate.
0: a moment of betrayal on Kim's part here, isn't there? Because
1: Travis was Implied awake. Because betrayal. Travis was awake because he was having a bad dream. He was dreaming about another dream. A woman. Yeah. I think he was dreaming about Kim. On top of him, expelling black stuff into his mouth. That's vomiting
0: right. Yeah. It. Now, that's an interesting psychoanalytic moment in itself, isn't it? Was he was he objectifying the woman of desire? ashamed of his desire, so objectifying the woman of desire as a witch rather than as a, than, than as a saint kind of thing? Uh, but let's leave all that. Uh, so, yeah. So it's just good public service information about how you catch
1: Ebola. It's through bodily <laughs> fluids. Don't yes. let someone vomit in your mouth.
0: Yeah, don't the, be don't be possessed by a succubus. You know
1: uh, the vomito negro. I think it's called black vomit that you well, get from hemorrhagic fevers.
0: Anyway, Maybe. I think it's the fourth dream, isn't it? The dream the next night, uh, where he's he's sleepwalking, presumably. Uh, debate on Reddit following, uh, and he discovers these these the young son of William and Kim in the midst of a, a violent nightmare, yeah, but away from his parents' bedroom where he normally sleeps.
1: He does, yeah. This is sort of one of the key sequences. We have skipped over a little bit, by the way. I just wanted to point out that... Um, I always do. I just wanted to point out that when when they met in the middle of the night, Kim said that she was dreaming of bread pudding and cupcakes.
0: Oh. Those are the I foods thought she was eating that.
1: I don't think they had any because, you know, they don't have bread pudding and cupcakes. I think she was dreaming of eating bread pudding and cupcakes. But Travis doesn't like cupcakes or ice cream or bread pudding. He doesn't have a sweet tooth, I guess. Yeah, well, also, I was going to say, Paul warns Travis about trusting that family, isn't he? Trust our family, not, you know, don't trust anybody else.
0: Yeah. So, in the morning, there's a bit discussion. Hey, you know what happened last night, Travis? What happened with you and the kid Andrew and he's like, "Well, he was having a nightmare away from your room, and at this point, the other families start having doubts, don't they? Like they can't quite believe that this has happened uh, by the
1: way, you've missed something else important like during the day, the dog fucked off, it slipped its lead, starts barking, slips its
0: lead. It does yeah.
1: Travis goes after it a bit.
0: And Paul says, "Leave it. It'll come back. It'll come your back." Your favorite?
1: He does. He says, "Leave it. It'll, it'll find its way back." It stops barking. They can't hear it anymore. And then death that's and a fair point.
0: Home. It's a dog. They know how to find their way home. You know what I mean? So in the morning, like, there's all this discussion about what's going on with the kid. Why was he having nightmares? Do they believe? St- Do they believe Travis? And they don't really. Uh, and uh, and then they're like, "Well, Travis, what were you doing out of your room anyway?" And I'm not sure what answer he gives. And by the way, been, yeah.
1: Paul has been let on to Will's and not trusting him anymore because they, they they bonded over whiskey the night before. They did.
0: Really smooth whiskey.
1: And Will lets it slip that he's an only child. But, but earlier said that his brother was dead. Dead. And Paul calls him on it, but he says, oh, I, I meant my brother-in-law.
0: Now this is nicely pitched because we can't really tell if will is covering a lie or just mm. uncomfortable with the fact that he wasn't you know he was just telling he was telling a lazy story to begin with actually telling the truth so to speak. Yeah. It was his...
1: it's perfectly believable isn't it you you would you would probably say
0: you know my brother. my it's not brother you know like yeah. uh, I remember I was in China once and some guy said, "Where are you from?" And I said well i'm you know i'm from I'm from blackpool and then I had to say it, I wasn't from blackpool you know I was from <laughs> eighteen miles away from Blackpool and he was like he just didn't believe anything I said afterwards, because he thought I was trying to say the same place that he was from because he happened to be from Blackpool. But I was just being lazy. you know what I mean? you don't if you're having casual conversation, you don't necessarily want to give all the details, and sometimes those details are private anyway. so we can see where Will's from, so we're inclined to believe him, but you know maybe he's just taking them for a ride. Maybe they're just there you know, to bide their time, kill off Paul and his family. Take the supplies, take the food, take the water and rule the roost, you know. So I think it's really well pitched, you know. What Paul should be thinking is really well pitched on a knife edge and it could tilt either way. And it tilts one way pretty soon. Exactly. Unless, that- you would know, unless you unless knew the other person was from like Hume or from like... Right, so when does it all go uh, pear-shaped and when does it all go cock hoop Well, pretty soon, doesn't it? Yeah, so
1: Travis has found Andrew in the middle of the night, takes him back to his parents' room. They hear some noise. Dead dog. And the dead dog, yeah,
0: the dog has been... We've the got dog, a dead is dog in to the, account for.
1: It's in the room, isn't it, outside the red door? Yeah.
0: Now, Paul, to his credit, doesn't think that that, uh, that William's done this, so there we go.
1: But they're all terrified that the dog is sick. It's obviously sick. It looks like there's blood all over it and stuff. So they burn the dog. And then they have a post-mortem <laughs> about, you know, how it got there and what happened. Travis says the door, the red door was already open. Yes. And who opened it? You know, could it have been Andrew? Um, they hear about Andrew not being in his parents' room. So, Paul's solution, sensible, I suppose, to split the two families up, quarantine in two separate rooms for five days so they can establish whether... Andrew is sick, maybe you touched a dog, maybe you got sick. Yeah. Meanwhile, that that night, Travis dreams about being in the woods, seeing the dog, something horrifying in his granddad, vomiting black goo.
0: A monstrous face, I think, as well. So his his nightmares are becoming increasingly his night terrors are becoming increasingly more terrifying, aren't they? And he's dreaming about having the boils and, you know, the lesions that appear on his skin. What would you call it? The hemorrhaging?
1: The hemorrhagic fever,
0: yeah. That's all that's I suppose
1: those lesions are a bit monkeypox-like, aren't they? So, at some point, the idea gets put out there that Andrew is sick. I think Travis had been overhearing them again from his attic spyhole. And I think he'd got the idea from what they were saying that the little boy, Andrew, wasn't feeling too well. When he tells his dad, Paul, Paul is immediately going to kill him. Uh, goes over to Will. But Will's got his own gun, and he points it back at, at Paul.
0: Yeah, he's kind of preemptive him and second-guessing on what's going to happen. Then there's a fight scene, and there's running up hills outside, and eventually, uh, Paul just shoots the kid dead. Uh, in his mother's sobbing arms. Uh, having killed Andrew as well, I think. Having killed the father, William, at this point, And the mother says, look, just put me out of my misery. And Paul does. He shoots her dead, too. So, three dead corpses. Which I think they burn also, don't they?
1: Yeah, they aim to burn Kim and Andrew. But Will is still alive, isn't he, at that point? And he overpowers, yes, he overpowers Paul. Um, and beats him with a rock. This is the point that you said.
0: Yeah, and then Paul just gets up and yeah. then kills William. Is that right?
1: Sarah shoots Will, I think.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, Thanks for watching carefully. <laughs> it's good to have Richard around. Uh,
1: and then, yeah, and then Paul kills mum and the, the kid. Well, Travis watches and he retches, but he can't throw up. And the film ends at that point with us wondering... Is Travis sick after all?
0: Yeah. So I think we have to assume that Travis is sick and that he's about to die.
1: Is that Was that what you got? Was that your
0: impression at the end? Very of the definitely. Because, I, I mean, I think there's some final shots of him scratching his skin, isn't there? And not in a dream state. And, what,
1: why was he having these dreams? These dreams seem uh, to
0: be... Now, can I get to Reddit's opinion on this, Richard?
1: <laughs> oh, Yeah. Sure.
0: So first of all, the red door is seen as a, a metaphorical machine or a metaphorical device that represents fear being open and overcoming civility. Okay. So at that point we know that, you know, this, this teetering balance that we've got, uh particularly in Paul's mind, because I think Paul's, you know, kind of painted as the, you know, morally the weakest person there. It tilts with the red door. Evil comes in, so to speak. However you want to present this and paranoia takes over the whole group. Okay, That's one thing that Reddit is fairly sure about. The other thing they're fairly sure about is that Travis does die at the end. He's the one that was infected. He's been close to the dog. He's been close to his grandfather. Sleepwalking is a symptom of the of the illness, so they don't know it because Radio Com is down across the entire country. Uh, how, you know, how, how, how do we know? Oh, right. Well, okay. we're supposed to suppose this, okay? This, is, okay? this is highly conjectural. But in the same way that they never actually explicitly said, you know, there's an airborne disease around, we're supposed to look at the movie and come to the conclusion that sleepwalking, uh, these fevered dreams, uh, and, you know, stepping out into the night, okay, stepping out through that red door, maybe something metaphorical going on there, uh, are all symptoms of the disease. And it's Travis, who's been close to his grandfather, and the dog that has got the disease uh, and presumably has maybe passed it on to the entire family. Uh, So that's what we're supposed to think according to Reddit. I don't know what your feelings are about that.
1: It's laying a lot of meaning on on top. I think the interesting question is, what is it that comes at night? Hmm. Is it not? And the reason that's interesting is apparently the cast and crew of the film signed an NDA that forbids them from ever revealing what comes at night.
0: Whoa. Yeah. So this movie's been set up explicitly to, to feed Reddit speculation, is what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But Reddit has an idea, doesn't it? I think fans and critics seem to think that it's Travis's dreams that are what what comes at night. Uh-huh. And yeah, maybe also his sleepwalking, I suppose.
0: So, yeah, so Reddit's fairly sure that the disease, although it's represented as a real disease, what they're really talking about is a disease of the spirit, soul, or mind, i.e., you know, when fears conquer Conquer our better side, so to speak. So yeah, but they really did have a disease as well. So yes, they really, that that's uh, that to me is the you know is the uh, is the, the weakness down, maybe the weakness <laughs> here. Also, at some point in the movie, and this is a real weakness I found for the Reddit stuff, is they've neglected to notice that symptoms appear after one day. Mm, well, apparently, well, whereas it, you know Travis has been having these symptoms, if they are the symptoms for a few days, for like, yeah. For a few days, yeah.
1: But how do we know that they only appear after one day?
0: Yeah. If it's any if it's any clarification at all, uh three review sites, you know, in, in the synopsis of the plot, they all say that Travis awakens visibly sick. Okay.
1: Hmm. Okay. Yeah.
0: And that that isn't because I think the dream sequence is shot in a slightly different camera lens, isn't it? It is, yeah. It's a different yeah. aspect ratio, yeah. Different aspect ratio. So this isn't supposed to be his dream sequences. So he's visibly sick, okay? And his mother's comforting him So as if he's about to die. So I think it's taken that Travis does actually die. That's not just Reddit speculating, I don't think. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm persuaded.
1: And, and it was the impression that I got as well,
0: yeah. Also, then Paul and uh, his wife Sarah sit at the dinner table and they seem to be infected too. That's the last shot of the movie and they're just defeated, you know. So the inference or, you know, the conclusion to be drawn is that, you know, Paul has been defeated by his own ill will, suspicion, malice and ignorance.
1: But that's not really true, is it? Ultimately, he was defeated by a, a dog. And- uh <laughs>
0: I, <laughs> yeah. hmm. And and somebody visiting broke into his house who wasn't clear about what he was there for and and in that in those circumstances wasn't exactly clear about who his brother fucking was. So, you know, I think I'm with Paul here. If somebody's feeding you bullshit in a life or death situation, either you get them to start talking sense immediately or you've got to put a bullet in their head, you know what I mean? So Whoa. swings it roundabouts really, <laughs> isn't it? So I think generally, you know, if it's going to be metaphorical, we have to say that the fear infects them all, doesn't it, really? I mean, that's why Will's not being straightforward. He's holding back also, isn't he? So it's it's a loss of civil society and civility generally across, across the two families, I think, that leads to their downfall, if you want to follow the Reddit line, which I don't particularly.
1: So there is stuff going on in this film. It's not completely straight up and down.
0: Did you enjoy it as a horror? Did you enjoy it as a horror thriller?
1: I found it a little bit...
0: Draggy? Slow? uh,
1: Slightly, but also, you know, it's so claustrophobic, it's kind of dull in a way, isn't it? I found it difficult to keep my full attention on it.
0: It wasn't wasn't claustrophobically icky and hair-raising, was it? It was just... Just kind of like, it was like sitting in a muggy room, wasn't it? You know, with with that, the windows open. Yes, yeah.
1: I felt I was suffocating. Yeah, and all that breathing noise that was going on.
0: Yeah. And I just felt, you know, I mean, it was, the action was okay. And there wasn't too much of it. It was nicely positioned. I, I think the tension built quite nicely. In the sense, you know, we know something's going to go off. We know that uh, William is not being straightforward. They kind of let these things hang for a nice amount of time. Like just said generally, it it just was a bit too slow. You know, it just it could have been done fifteen or twenty minutes less. I think.
1: So, Paul, are we coming to a score situation?
0: Plot and storyline first of all.
1: Plot and storyline, okay.
0: I liked it. I'm going to jump in here and say eight.
1: Oh, right, straight in there.
0: I didn't like the fact that it's a real disease and not a, and, and somehow it's obvious they're trying to symbolise something that's not a real disease. That was a mess, you know. If they're going to be monsters, then we need to see them in his dreams. They need to be horrifying, you know. We need some special effects, and we need to know it's a psychological thing. Uh, this mi- mixing and mulching of the two things together, I thought was problematic and I would have scored it higher if it hadn't had that mess up
1: yeah it's either a psychological thriller or it's a thriller about an actual disease or a supernatural um, thing
0: yeah, yeah. it could be one of three things it can't be two or three or two and a half of them
1: well I guess it can be they proved that it can be it's just not all that it can satisfying. be but it's it's it's,
0: <laughs> it's irking and yeah. I'm not sure that the, the the genre boundaries should be broken for, for apparently no reason sure
1: I'd agree. I'm going to give it a seven because I like the way it's riffing on. um, I do like the way it's riffing on the old diseases, the the old Ebola Marburgs,
0: and the tension was stoked quite nicely at times. Do you not think? Yeah, it's like the dog disappears, and it's 15 minutes later. You know, Uh, Travis is walking at night, and then you know we discover something. I like the fact there's patience in the plotting. They set things apart. Almost not Hitchcockian, but, you know, has that sense that sense of patience and balance in, in the direction that I quite, quite enjoyed.
1: Well, are we going to do a horror fear factor
0: score? Well, What about the actors first?
1: I liked Will, and I liked Kim, and Sarah, Travis. I was less certain about Paul. Why? It's just something I, I've got against Paul's, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Familiar to breeze contempt.
1: I don't know. It may be just that I called him Beard all the way through my notes because I couldn't remember his <laughs> name.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I th- I thought he portrayed somebody who was suspicious but didn't want to vocalise that suspicion quite well.
1: Sure. Okay. Yeah. So it was a thinly veiled kind of. Uh, I-,
0: I thought he carried it. I, I like Travis. I thought he did the kind of you know nervous awkward teenager quite well. Yeah.
1: I'll go for an eight here.
0: I did like the acting. I, I thought maybe the two, the two female actors were kind of set back to, you know, sort of supporting roles.
1: That's true. Yeah, there weren't very wasn't really, really
0: much for them to say, was there? Apart from being concerned and emotional about other people. Mm. Yeah, uh, and so you know, that backstage position they be given up. I you know, I thought it was a waste of acting, really, acting talent wasn't it. I'm gonna score seven for the acting.
1: Okay, so let's do Fear Factor then. Mm.
0: I mean it had all, all didn't it? it had drives through a forest that you knew was gonna be ending <laughs> in 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 some sort of uh, sabotage or ambush. Uh it had people entering uh you know, a lonely a lonely farmhouse or lonely lonely forest house at night. It had people stepping out into the woods alone. It had howls from the distant forest. Uh, it's got
1: a very um, zombie apocalypse feel to it, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. D- these people with a disease—you make—they're meant to feel somehow like, uh, yeah, uh, aggressive zombies in a way. So it is scary, and it is tense. It is
0: scarier. But I thought, you know, the pressure cooker or, you know, the steamer, the steam cooker was on for a bit too long. It got a bit, not just claustrophobic in feel, but claustrophobic for the viewer. There was just, there wasn't enough release, I don't think. Maybe the tension was kept up there for a little bit too long before resolution. For fear, I'm going to score it 6.5.
1: The scariest bits are the things in your mind when you're thinking about how it would be and how scary it would be to protect your family and, you know, in a disease of this kind. And the, the choices it forces on them, but there's the on-screen scares, like the gory, horror-y stuff, which are all mostly Travis's dreams. And mm. I don't find, I didn't find his dream sequences. They're a little bit hackneyed. I mean, maybe like dreams really are, you know, like nightmares really are. But you know, they're not my nightmares, so I didn't, I didn't much care about them. Um that point. It, initially, they were just confusing. I'm not really scared, <laughs> you know what are we seeing here. Can't figure it out, so yeah, yes. I, I can only give it a six for, for fear Ooh. factor. I think uh, this is an A24 movie, you know. This is the film studio that has done a lot of the movies we've liked Climax, really? Hereditary, Midsummer. You Whoa. know, it, it's an exceptional film studio, uh, and this isn't bad, no, it's not bad. Have we done all the categories? Are we on an overall score? Is that where we are? Well, I don't know what to do for a fourth category. Well, there, we could do a mood, couldn't we? Yeah, let's do mood.
0: I, I thought it sustained quite well. I'm going to score it eight for mood.
1: It is an eight because it is it is claustrophobic, it is lockdown stuff. Long before they knew what that mood was really like.
0: <laughs> overall, I'm going to score it an eight. Uh, Wow. It's a strong movie. A definite recommend from me.
1: That is higher than I was expecting.
0: Probably higher is than it? I would have given it, I think. I enjoyed this movie. It, it really held my attention. I, I felt it's slow at times, but that's really my only major criticism.
1: It didn't so much hold my attention up, but that may be my fault. Huh. Um, so, I'm going to have to give this just a 7. That's a generous 7. I was going to go 6, but I think... it it is better than it's an A24 movie it's got a lot going for it and it's better than a a schlocky kind of B movie but not
0: brilliant I would say worth my time definitely worth your time yeah Yeah. super great okay so a recommend from me and a tentative recommend from Richard Richard that brings us on to next (laughs) week's offerings
1: well you know what was out just the other day the new series of Stranger Things Ball
0: Oh my gosh, Stranger Things 4. Wow, I've heard big things about it. People don't like the fact that the actors are now grown up. Uh, hello. Uh, I like the fact.
1: Well, we can't watch that before next week, though. It's too much to watch. We, we, we tried to do that. We did that once with that Korean series, it killed us nearly. <laughs> it did really kill us, yeah.
0: It was called extracurricular, and we had to do some real extracurricular activity to get it finished <laughs> in time. Yeah. So, well, let's start on Stranger Things with a promise to our audience ship to to talk about it after they've already watched it, and instead let's let me give you two choices for next week's movie. That's okay, Richard. Oh my god. Uh, okay one that you probably know of and you might want to choose before I've given the other one, which is uh, an effort by David Lynch called Inland Empire. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The second is from 2021, uh, The Trip, which features being isolated in dense woodland once more. Ooh. So it's The
1: Trip for next episode. Yep. Yeah? Until the next time. Goodbye.
0: Ciao for now. See you in the next one.